We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two pitch, ball line to Yount, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air, Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history! Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center! He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well. And it's gone. Robin. A two-run home run. The Brewers take the lead. Morgan, a smash up the middle. Base hit the center. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. And me, Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. Adam, um, as I often do, I'm going to start this on a philosophical level and just see what unpacks from there. Human beings have a remarkable ability to continuously do things that they know are bad for them but they do them anyway. Maybe you eat too much sugar. Maybe you drink too much alcohol. You smoke cigarettes, whatever it may be. You do something because you enjoy it, even though you know it's it's doing damage in the long run. And one of those things that you and I have done for the better part of the last month is watch the Milwaukee Brewers play baseball because we're out there chasing that little bump of serotonin that comes from a victory. Um, but that leaves potential for great, great, great frustration and heartache. It does. This is a Milwaukee sports problem generally. Uh, I have spent way too many years not sleeping, chasing late in the night Milwaukee sports hits for God knows what reason. And uh, this week... <laughs> I'm glad the Bucks could give me something to cheer about because the Brewers uh, really aren't. And this was a tough, tough series. 
And I'm also glad we were weighing up, you know, will we record in the off day? Will we wait until Friday morning? I'm glad that we left it today. I think that was a good call all around. Maybe, you know, cooler heads can prevail than what we necessarily feel right in the aftermath of a series like this one. Yeah, because the aftermath, um, there was a lot of emotions and frustrations. At the end of the day, this is still a first place baseball team with a 20 and 12 overall record. Uh, you'll take that 32 games into a season, but coming off a series loss to the Atlanta Braves that was very emotional for me for other reasons, we were looking for the Brewers to get back on track by taking down a team that they're significantly better than, and that's the Cincinnati Reds. They had swept the Reds the week previously, so it, it felt like there was going to be a quick turnaround for Milwaukee, but it was not to be. I, I read on Twitter I guess this is a soccer term that uh, comes across. Someone was listing off all the offensive and um, pitching stats. So the Brewers were top five on the league. And then one of the replies was NL Central Merchants, sadly. And uh, even that was not the case this week because the Brewers went into Cincinnati and dropped two out of three games. And each game was frustrating, even the win. But it was one of those situations where um, – you know, these kind of things happen in baseball, but there was a comment I made to you that I'm going to walk back a little bit just because I think the math has changed. Baseball, because you play 162 games, your schedule, you're going to play a lot of bad teams, you're going to play a lot of good teams. There's a lot of opportunity for things to even out. You lose a series you shouldn't, you win a series you shouldn't, and at the end of the day, um, everything kind of balances out where your true talent level is and where you should be. But I think the math has changed on that this season and that every game, especially for a team like the Brewers who has higher aspirations than just getting into the playoffs, means a little more, even those games against bad teams, because of how valuable getting that first round by will be and not having to play an extra playoff series and put wear and tear on their pitcher's arms. So I think that part of that is why it makes it so frustrating to go into a series against the Brewers, um, against the Reds, and, and the Brewers just – Obviously, they want to win the game. They're they're professional athletes, but just something felt off. And like right from the get go, it was clear this series was not going to be as easy as um, last week. Brandon Woodruff starts things off in in game one and just continues to not really look like himself. He's had uh, a start here or there where he's starting to look like the Brandon Woodruff you know, but. Four and a third innings pitched, eight hits, six runs, five of them earned, two walks, six strikeouts, and a, a pair of home runs, which is not uncommon in Cincinnati because of they play in basically a little league park. But when you're you're asking for Brandon Woodruff to come in there and and stop a losing streak, um, and you get out to a three nothing lead or a three one lead in in a game against a team you're significantly better than. You, you should expect to win the game. And then you have a letdown bottom of the fifth inning and things just unravel from there. And I guess just the, the nature of the season and what the Milwaukee Brewers are after are just what makes us so frustrating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, weather complacency just factors into this of based on how it was last time and it is the Reds and how easily they were able to get the offense going and then as I learned and as you described and as Hunter Renfro gave his audio of um, the fact that you expect 
the ball to fly even more in Cincinnati. And then on a hot day, you know, you're thinking, which, look, we did see eventually in this series, we saw a game where everything was a home run. But I don't know that the Brewers just take that for granted. We were very disappointed with the performance of the Braves, more for the reasons that align with our larger concerns, which is against good teams, does the offense have enough? What happens when you go up against a team that also has quality pitching and all of a sudden it's, you know, the finest margins and that spot, it becomes tough for the Brewers. This is so much more frustrating though, because you're just allowing an obscene amount of runs to the worst team in baseball. Um, (laughs) I don't know when the next time the Reds will have a series like this is, and maybe you give them a little bit of credit, but I, I think overall, Brewers pitching left quite a lot to be desired in this series. Um, And we're on a run of a few starts. Freddie was actually pretty good. Got got in some trouble, but got out of it with very little damage. Um, And it's no coincidence that that's the game they win. The game where the starter held it together and didn't really give up a whole lot. And his season has been hit and miss, honestly, so far too. So it was good to see even where there was some of the, the concerns that would be there with him up to this point in the, the campaign. He was able to get on top of it, limit the damage, and leave the Brewers in a position to win. Adrian Hauser, real mixed bag. Uh, actually did well at the back end of his, of his uh, game three performance. But ultimately, when you're only going four innings pitched, and when you've put your team in a a seven nothing hole through two innings that is very very difficult um and they they just weren't able to climb out of that errors didn't help him as if we're going to be completely fair to adrian hauser i think only three of the runs were earned runs for him um but at the same time you know three runs through a couple of innings against the reds isn't ideal either uh that's concerning and I, this, I think the, the game one might be Woody's worst game so far in that it, it felt like the one where he was just kind of most consistently off because generally I, I think he's had some element of control there without getting the results to the level that you'd expect. That's my feeling on it. It always feels pretty safe when he's there and the numbers do not paint that picture because he is letting it go at some point. I guess we're just waiting for some more complete games from. Um, but that was a pretty loose one all around for him in game one. But overall, like that's you're gonna have this as great as the pitching is, you're gonna have times where those pitchers have off days, and that makes it much more difficult for the Brewers. And we've talked about a magic number for the Brewers, and it had been the case up until this, which is if you get more than four runs, if you get five plus. Brewers are winning games. Uh, we saw 5-5 five, five, and 11 in this series, and they came away with one win against the Cincinnati Reds. It's pretty embarrassing. Like, there, there is no other words for it. It's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, it's been a uh, an interesting and maybe unexpected season in terms of where the, like, true shutdown production is coming from the starting rotation it's burns which we knew was going to happen and then really it's been eric lauer who's been the second best starter in this rotation and we're still waiting for woodruff and um peralta to 
to really find their groove and be the, you know, low to three sub ERA starter that they can be. Woodruff, this uh, was his second worst start of the season in terms of earned runs allowed. But uh, other than the, you know, opening week, uh, big loss to the Cubs, it, it definitely did feel like the one that's most disappointing because the game was there to be one and then one bad fifth inning turns things around. It's it's like he's either been locked in this season or he's just been completely out of his groove. He followed that Cubs performance up with back-to-back outings with no one runs allowed against the Cardinals and the Pirates. Then he um, had an outing where he went four innings and allowed four and runs to the Pirates. Uh, the last performance against the Red was uh, – good if unspectacular in terms of the runs allowed he allowed two homers three and runs but struck out 12 and then obviously on on monday just just didn't have it and it unraveled from there uh maybe maybe we need to do away with the dh rule or woodruff just needs to be used like shea of tani maybe he just misses hitting and uh like your comments on on yelly needing to be in left field maybe woodruff needs a bat in his hand <laughs> considering some of the options that the brewers have and um, particularly you know, I hope Kutch is feeling better. I don't know if there's been any updates on that. I've missed it. I would really like to see Kutch at some point against the Marlins because it does show with this team just one reliable kind of everyday solid hitter out of the lineup. It's a big loss. I mean, Kutch, one homer for the season, right? Two? Don't, it's two, yep. Don't feel like there's been a whole lot there in terms of just like power hitting but very reliably getting on base and then giving the other guys a chance to, to really rack up some runs. And even as in this series, there was evidence, there was no shortage of home runs um, against the Reds in game three, but a lot of, a lot of single shots, you know, where the Reds were finding the bases loaded pretty regularly and not having to work quite as hard and to pile up those really gaudy tally they finished with. I still can't quite believe that the Reds scored 14 runs against the Brewers. But yeah, I I think that's for sure uh, an idea that is funny to think about, but also, you know, are we really laughing? Are we really laughing? (laughs) Do we need to see Woody with the bat at some point? It's, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's fun or not, Andrew. It's not, yeah. So to, to recap, it game five, game one was a ten five loss. Brandon Woodruff taking the loss. Uh, we've mentioned his stats before. We don't have to get into it. And this was a game where their uh, performance running runners in scoring position actually wasn't that bad. They were three for seven, uh, but it only led to five runs, and that was just kind of that. After the the fifth inning, um, they they'd score some more runs uh, on the day to kind of provide the illusion of of coming back in the game, but uh, another three spot for the Reds in the seventh off of, uh, I think it was a combination of, it was a combination of Gustave and Milner. Was that all Milner? Whatever it was, uh, you know, it was just kind of done from there. Like you said, one of the things that I think is a positive we can take out of this series was the performance of Freddie Peralta because he did not have, his sharpest command, yet he only allowed one walk, struck out eight, stranded four hits to only allow one run. And after after Woodruff came into a game where he really didn't have it, it was nice to get some sense of reliability on the mound. But again, I mean, there there's just no thump in in this lineup right now, save for a, a few spurts of garbage time 
runs in in the final game of the series. I mean, five runs, like we were talking about, four is a magic number. But when you're playing in Great American Ballpark, you you would kind of like to have a little bit more going on. And you would think, you know, if we're stringing together nine hits, can we can we start to you know these home runs like a, a Luis Urias solo shot in the fourth. Can we start doing this with runners on base? That would be very helpful. So it's like in this series, you look at the runners in scoring position numbers uh, and the left on base numbers and, or the left on base numbers are bad in this, but it's, it's not as like upsetting as it has been in the past, but for, for some reason, it just feels like those big hits, those, uh, Homers save when Rowdy hits them just aren't coming with people on base. And like, I don't know how you fix that because a lot of that is just uh, kind of random variants, unless it's something like deep rooted within this team that like, we just can't figure out. And, and that's, I think what's probably most concerning, especially when you go up against those good teams, because you want to take advantage of the opportunities and really do damage at game two because of that reason, because they didn't take advantage fully of all their opportunities to score um, became a game where you end up getting, it gets a little nervy and Josh Hader is on the mound in the ninth inning with the winning run at the plate. And this, this is, was very easily one great American ballpark fluke home run away from this being a sweep by the reds. And, uh, we can talk about the pitching all we want because that is a story because pitching at batter in games one and game three, but the lineup concerns are still there. And it, well, in, in this I, the, in this series, only Chris Yelich from the top half of the order really delivered with any kind of consistency, and that that was the problem. It was actually it was the guys that usually were like, "Oh no, this isn't great." We're down to. To Jace Pearson, like we'll talk with Jace Pearson. Jace Pearson delivered with the bat in this series. In um, in game two, the bottom three hitters in the lineup combined for six of the nine hits, and that's Jace Pearson, like, Lorenzo Kane, who cannot hit anything this season, and Victor Caratini. Like, and that's just just imagine if the top and middle of the order were getting on base and giving opportunities for it to be runners in scoring position as you move down the order. And that's what didn't happen in this, this series. So like Willie Donna's not a good series. Did he even, did he get a hit? He, he One did hit get a in hit game two. And, and it, an infield single um, that he, like he was really hustling out of the box to get that's that. Right. And I, I think it was the evidence of that is just like how much he's struggling right now is he needed that hit. No hits um, or walks in game one or three for Willie Adamas, which is just not ideal. Um, yeah, he is. He's really in a bad way right now. And it, it it seems like he's pressing at the plate, honestly, because the plate discipline that he tends to be known for was nowhere to be seen in the series. So that's that's a good call out there. Rowdy a little quieter, particularly in game two, although they didn't actually need him in the end there. Um, but I mean, still three RBIs for the series. He's not completely gone cold. I, Willie was the one, particularly when that comes up. We know that Colton Wong can be a tough one to lead off. Again, not entirely terrible though. You know, getting on base in this series, but it was Willie Adams just easy outs, kind of swinging at everything and not coming all that close. 
which I know even I've seen interviews with him so far this season where he put his fast start down to he's more patient than he used to be and he feels like he's he's learned to to not just swing at everything and to pick your spots and as he's done that he sees the ball a lot better and the results are coming with it it feels like maybe a bit of a regression on that I don't know is that just the reds of it all too being like I'm playing the reds this is just let's get these homers going I don't know it's it's interesting I think I think that's probably what it was it's like you you start to lose the process of what got you to where you are because that's a a a good point about where his success from was coming from i think a large degree of his power surge was because of that he's taking pitches even if they're strikes that aren't anything he can like do some damage with and he's having deep counts and if they're not going to give him something to hit he's going to take a walk or he's going to hit the ball hard i mean we for the most part, even when he was getting out early in the season, he was smoking the ball right at guys. We saw a lot of probably dead ball um, uh, induced hard contact for outs from Willie when he wasn't drawing walks or hitting for power. And in this series, it was just kind of out the window. Um, I think he'll get it back. I think he's too good of a player to to let this become his season, but it's definitely a concern right now. And it's something that you can tell is affecting him. I will say, uh, other that he did have a, an error in, uh, game three. I don't know if he had one of the other few games, but I mean, his, his defense has remained mostly consistently good throughout this. So you, you would hope that he doesn't carry his struggles with him to the field. Um, you know, if a uh, if a wide receiver's uh, dropping passes in a in a football game, you know he doesn't have to go out and then cover a receiver on the other side. But uh, in basketball and in baseball, you got to play on uh, both sides of the ball, and sometimes one aspect of your game can bleed into the other. So hopefully Willie does does not let that happen, and hopefully he starts just being the hitter he can be. And a lot of that comes down to just patience. And yeah. not not getting yourself out. And let's let's not overstate it based on really the two series too, because I mean he's still he's tied under Renfro for for his home run leader. He is the team leader in RBI, uh, seven seventy nine OPS. Like <laughs> overall, the picture is still very good there. But I think much like the Brewers, this this road trip has just not been very kind to him or the team as a whole so far. And the reality is his importance to the team is at the level where if he has a tough few days, the Brewers are likely going to have a tough few days. They need him to to be a steady hitter. And again, with Andrew McCutcheon, the need for that only becomes all the greater. Like you need everything you can get offensively. So that's that's been a tough beat for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's just a situation where what happened in game two is – probably always going to be the exception not the rule where you just get bottom of the order hitters being productive i mean uh a caratini rbi single uh in the eighth to stretch things out to 4-1 a jace peterson double early in the game to to score tyron taylor you're not seeing that (laughs) every day from this lineup and i think more days often than not when you a brewer the brewers get a 5-4 win it's going to be yelich adamas rowdy urias or, or driving um, those runs home or providing that production. So 
Um, but, but like you said, overall, the picture on a lot of these guys are still good, even if they're not necessarily trending in the right direction. Uh, game two was that 5-4 win. Freddie Peralta, solid five, two-thirds innings pitch, four hits, one earned run, one walk, and eight strikeouts. Like I said, wasn't as sharpest. He's lowered his, lowered his ERA to 4-4-0 now. So it's almost like the, the kind of uh, dust is settling as we look at this Brewers rotation. And I think based on performance right now, you'd say that Burns, Lauer, Peralta, uh, or Burns, Lauer, Peralta and Hauser maybe in in the same kind of bucket. Hauser's ERA is lower than Peralta because of uh, that scoring change on the the first inning ground ball to Urias. But uh, there seems to be some normalization with the those first three, and they're trending in the right direction. If Woodruff can refine some consistency and Hauser bounce back from this last outing, I think the pitching is going to be fine. Um, it's just kind of about resetting and treating every day from here on out like a new season. Um. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So like we said, 5-4 win in game two and game three was just probably probably the most frustrating Brewers loss of the season. And part of that might have come down to the YouTube broadcast, Adam. <laughs> Yeah, that's a new experience for me and one that I'm going to assume I probably won't have this season. They've only got like 10 more games. We get the Brewers again, maybe. Hopefully not. Um, a little bit different. The interesting experience. I did enjoy Corbin Burns. I'd say that was that was good. Some good insight. He got to call Ellie Homer. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, wasn't crazy about the YouTube broadcast experience. Um, but <laughs> I can I cannot blame that for the result. It did not factor into the Brewers allowing 14 runs. Once again, 14 runs to the Cincinnati Reds. Um, truly, truly miserable. And again, aside from the day off um, that, that we also took along with the Brewers between recording this episode and when this game happened, this podcast is probably just a little bit better because they found six runs in the ninth and they made a rally that honestly 
could have been more and probably should have been more. <laughs> you know, that's it's it's not far off anyway. Lokan kind of hit a bullet directly at the second baseman, I think it was, if I remember correctly. Um, and that was that was the moment where the air kind of came out of it. If that's just, you know, a tiny bit left or right there, this is a very, very interesting scenario it would have gone into. So that was a lot of fun. Like for a game that was just not remotely fun, the fact that it was, I know even in our um, Bruising Buddies channel on the GSPN Discord, if you haven't already rate review the pod or go to my twitter account there's a link in the bio you can fill out the form if you listen on spotify we'll get you into the discord always good brewers talking there but i know for many this game had reached turn off the game stages and you know i'm a professional i've got a podcast too so i had not turned off the game and i was urgent i was like turn the game you better turn the game back on people this is this is maybe possible somehow. So that was that was nice. And obviously the late innings too also gave us a, a milestone moment for, for Christian Yelich. So I hope too many people didn't just bail for this game in like the, the sixth, even though I would have understood the reasons for doing so, because there was better that came late in the day um, and certainly some stuff that Bruce Hans would have wanted to see. We'll touch on Yelich here shortly, but... Um... This was a game of of what ifs because there were several moments in the game where, uh, you know, like they say, I'll make another football reference, Adam, so you understand it. Goals change the games. Uh, they do, and so do runs. Uh, the Reds got four runs in the bottom of the first, and those were all unearned because of a Luis Urias error. Ground ball, sharp ground ball to third base kind of is in between whether he wants to slide his feet and get in front of it. I'm acting this out physically just so it helps me kind of plays it off to the side and ball gets through would have likely been a double play because of how hard the ball was hit. Um, and instead it's a four run inning for the reds. Another situation um, in the second inning, um, a fly ball to, to right center field um, Hunter Renfro. Goes back on it, uh, gets to the wall, but doesn't make the play. He's about three feet away from the ball. This is the, the key problem. He gets to the ball. Sorry, he gets to the wall, but the ball is at a completely different part of the wall. Perfect between uh, him and Loke. Uh, correct. Uh, Renfro, as we know, because he was mic'd up, called for it, but unfortunately did not make the play. Wasn't that also... Uh, that was after the play where he actually made a really good catch in the end, but it was only such a good catch because he had misjudged it and he was backtracking, managed to get his glove on it. And on YouTube again, he was mic'd up. So we got to see some of the audio where he, he warned Lorenzo Kane that, you know, there's a bit extra, the ball is flying a bit more in the air just to be aware of it. And yet then he calls off Lorenzo for a play that cost three runs in a game where to his credit he had two home runs you know he he did his part there but they lost this game by three runs and i just generally for all of the areas i don't have a ton of faith in locane right now i maybe would not have waved him off if i was under renfro and i would have let kane take responsibility on that ball 
Yeah, I mean, the way Kane's playing with the glove and his routes, throwing aside, uh, <laughs> I would uh, I would almost, if I was Hunter Renfro, I would just, like, kind of get to the warning track and just get out of the way and just see if he could make some magic happen because say what you will about him, but Low Kane's reading the ball well off the bat. He's tracking down fly balls, whether coming in or going back. I mean, there are a few balls in this series that I – thought were going to be hits either bloops to single or balls to the wall and then just here comes lorenzo kane makes a play um and right there a little bit of uh i don't know i don't want to call it miscommunication but it's almost just like they were in between deciding what was going to happen renfro was like i think, I guess I think renfro I'm... was decisive i think he like you could see he clearly called it so kane was like okay it's yours and then he's just he, there was near. not a lot of confidence in that call though <laughs> I mean, the other thing with Renfro, um, and we know if if he does catch a ball, if it's uh, a case where he needs to fire that thing right back in to get someone out, he's he's up to the task. And we saw that in this game, and it was something that um, I can't was it Yonder? I can't remember the name of the the commentator on Yonder Alonso. Yeah, okay. He kept saying it. He's like, don't, don't go. Just don't take the risk. Because once Hunter Renfro's got him, we've already seen it. his arm is incredible. But we are a little less, I feel like. Maybe just over a week removed from him dropping a really simple catch as well. So he has not been without some fielding issues on the season to date. So any situation where it's like, well, is this your ball or is this Lorenzo Kane's? I would probably advise under Renfro to just step aside let seniority take uh take the lead in that case one of the sliding doors moments of this game um there but there were some positives as you mentioned Adam things got started uh for Christian Yelich I believe in his first at bat um was did he double in his first at bat he would end up homering in the third uh but Christian Yelich hit for the cycle, and this is the thir- third cycle of his career, and all three have come against the Cincinnati Reds. Being that you're a new fan to baseball, I'm going to assume this is your first cycle. Um, it is my first and cycle. And this is pretty quick to get one, right? Considering how, yeah, how young my fandom is. It, it very much is. So I just wanted to, like, what what kind of thought process was going for, through your mind as Yelich was coming to the plate again especially because he needed a triple in was, the last I, at bat to get it i wasn't thinking about it really because he needed a triple and i actually don't know how many triples i've seen from brewers so far this season um looking at the leaderboard here we've had four in total two for colton one i do not remember those uh i guess colton can move around the bases so that that explains that but um it's look, Yelly is certainly someone who can do it in that situation. He is a he is a good base runner, and he hit in the absolutely perfect spot. Like that is is that maybe like I'm guessing, particularly with the score at that point and where his mind is at in the game. Like that seems like some pretty surgical hitting. Like that's that to me. Am I being naive here, or is that? really trying to place that and give yourself a chance at the cycle because there wasn't a whole lot else like that's before the rally gets going you're not thinking about winning the game like if it wasn't if there's just so much if you can't have any control over it well 
you could not get luckier in terms of placing it in a better spot to give yourself a chance. It would be incredibly difficult to do that, but I'm not ruling it out. But that's, I will but say, that's what I'm you... saying. It's because it, it's it only comes into your head because it's like so perfectly placed. Like you, there's not many ways you can give yourself the chance. And and once you get on the base pass, you're going for it at that point because you can you can taste it. And and Yelly did. Um. So yeah, one of the the cool baseball statistical oddities um just yeah we, we covered them all homer single double triple you know we just we just wanted to cover the bases and for yelly in general this we've we've talked about his batted ball data and the positive trends there and his his production numbers are creeping up to the point where it's like yes this is real these are positive developments he's not mvp yelly yet he might not get there but he's having a productive season uh, 259 batting average, 356 OBP, 482 slug for an 838 OPS to this point, five homers, 20 RBI. Also, he is the Brewers leader in batting average, in OBP, in slugging percentage, in hits, um, in OPS now as well. Like, it's a, it's a big deal. Like, you're, you're right. He may not be an MVP, Alich, but. We really are like in the the kind of the, I guess the optimistic side of the discussion we had on our very first episode, which was looking ahead to the season. It's like, what can Yelly be? He's getting walked for fun. Like he's he's getting on base with incre- incredible regularity, and the hitting is also there. So it's pretty exciting, and you'd like to think it will continue to trend upwards. But that was a moment to be able to deliver in that spot is. No small feat. And again, he hit it in the perfect spot. So it had me be like, I don't think that's something that players can really do, but he would have had his eye for where he wanted it to go and it went there for him to, to get the cycle. And I'm right in saying he's now, he's tied with Trey Turner as the only active players with three cycles each. Did you hear that? See that? I believe that's the stat I saw. Yeah, and I think he's uh, one of uh, six players in MLB history with three cycles. So pretty rarefied air there. Um, and Trey, Trey Turner might be the fastest man on earth. So uh, it's easy to imagine him racking up a few more, but Yelly's right there with him. And he's, what, what do we say? He's 31. He, come on. A few more. I mean, they, they play the Reds a lot, Adam. And Yelich apparently just loves hitting for cycles against the Reds. So the, the, the thing know, with possible. that, too. Um, because I saw a lot about that, about it's always the Reds. I am right in saying that's not, that doesn't take anything away from because the Reds have not always been like the Reds are now. No, 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 no. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you there because I mean, they were, they've been competitive the last few years, even though they weren't. I'm pretty sure they, ma- they made the playoffs during the uh, COVID year, uh, expanded field. I think they lost to the Braves and last year they were in contention. Like I said, I think they would have made the playoffs had. I don't know what year each of his cycles came in, but I mean, it, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's an accomplishment no matter what because even if the Reds were bad in previous years, they weren't these Reds <laughs> because they are a whole different level despite having just taken two out of three games from the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, the Yelich thing is exciting because I think like this is – 
this is more just feel rather than facts uh, because I'm watching on a TV in North Carolina, but he also just seems so much more comfortable at the plate than he seemed at the beginning of the season. And even in spring training, when he was pounding the ball into the ground and it looked like he was getting too aggressive early in counts, or he was, it was, it was one or the other. It's either swinging too early ground ball or oh, I'm taking too many pitches and I'm taking them like when they're right in my sweet spot and just didn't look comfortable in the box. And now it seems like he's got full command of the plate and it's showing in the results. And that's incredibly exciting because we said going or a few, I said a few weeks ago, you know, Yelich doesn't necessarily need to be the best hitter on the team. I'll couch that and say maybe he needs to be the best all-around hitter on the team. Doesn't need to be the best power hitter on the team. Yeah, for them he, to he doesn't need to lead them in RBI and home runs, and, but he he probably needs to be the guy who is living on base, and he's looked pretty close to that. Absolutely, and I think if if they can get to a point where they're regularly playing the lineup that I like, which is Arias leading off, Yelich second, or Adama second, flip flop them, however you want to do it. Um, and rowdy cleanup. I, I think that's a lineup that's going to just be an on-base factory at the top and have some thump in the middle and be something that can create sustainable offense on a game-to-game basis. And Yelly's a big part of that, and it is really exciting to see what he's done already this season. And, you know, now he's uh, now he's returning to his his old stomping grounds. Maybe that'll give him another another burst of life. And, you know, the the cycle – won't be the highlight uh, of Yelly's road trip. Maybe we'll throw a three-homer game in here for fun. Why not? Uh, Todd Rosiak of the Journal Sentinel had a nice piece on Yelly after the cycle. Um, and I think he noted in there that he has his lowest ground ball rate since his last MVP winning season. Um, so that's that's exactly what we want to hear. All of the numbers are trending the right way for him. We've talked in the past about like uh, heart hit rate and barrel and like he is, he's not just doing well by his past standards and in those kind of metrics, he's right up with the very best in baseball. So there are still signs that it's like, yeah, he could go better. Like this, this could clock up a beer, a gear, a beer. We'll get to who clocks up a beer. Um, maybe a Freudian slip, but we talk with Christian Yelich there. But he could clock up a gear as he continues to get more confident and find his groove. And he sure looks a lot more confident than he looked to begin the season. Certainly when I saw him in the playoffs last year, he looked a shell of the player I'd heard about in all my years of not watching the Brewers. So only, only good things really there. And also, we shouldn't overlook, he made two absolutely brilliant catches in this series. Um, like two of the top three defensive plays probably from a Brewer in this series came from him. We had a conversation on a playback recently because I have this thing where I'm I'm not sure if designated hitter brings the best out of Yelly. And we saw him, was he designated hitter twice in this series? I think he was. No. Okay, so it's going, it it's going back to the Braves. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. He was only DH in game three. I'm not sure on that. I, I just have a feeling that when he's out in left field, it seems to be better even at the plate. Obviously, he had a cycle as a DH here, so it's not completely mutually exclusive. But on playback, we ended up having a discussion where I was like, why are they doing that? He doesn't feel like a bad defender to me. And everyone's like, uh. And what I'd seen up to that point is I think he's really, this season anyway, he's been really good with the glove. It's just he doesn't necessarily have the arm. And Obviously, situationally, that can be a big, big issue. 
um, kind of a reverse what we're talking about with Hunter Renfro. But I don't know. I, I think some of the plays he made this week, they're, I don't know if the best option is Yelly as DH. I, I think I think there's better use for that. Part of that, too, is probably Kutch being out with COVID, though, because obviously we were seeing plenty of Kutch DH, and I'm sure we'll go back to that. Yeah, I imagine a lot of it is just uh, wear and tear maintenance for Yelly with the back stuff in the past. Um, but I think he his range isn't one as it used to be, but it's not like unplayable. He's probably got average range, and he's if he gets to a ball, he's making the play. Arm might not be the strongest, but he takes good routes. Um, he's a really just smart outfielder if that makes sense, I think would be the best description of, of Yelly's defense at this point. And I think now that the back injury seemed to be behind him, it could be a situation where he re- returns to playing the, the defense. Not necessarily that he played in his prime, but somewhere about. Um, shall we get to a look ahead to beers, Adam? Where do we let's go look, Let's look ahead. We've got for anyone, you know, on, we've got some national sounds talk and some some brewers prospects and some familiar some familiar friends we're going to talk about very shortly and um, but let's wrap up all things brewers first of all yep so lost two out of the three to the reds that series is in the past uh we're just not going to think about it ever again um because we had to uh milwaukee i mean uh, miami milwaukee heads to miami this this weekend for a, a series against the miami marlins tonight friday night a 5.40 central time start. It's going to pit Corbin Burns against Pablo Lopez. Saturday, a 5.10 central start, Trevor Rogers versus Eric Lauer. And then Sunday to wrap up the series, 12.40 central, Elisir Hernandez facing off against, where is my note? Brandon Woodruff, who will look to bounce back from a tough start against the Reds. Um, Miami not really expected to factor into any playoff conversation of this Sorry, on, season. Sorry, on that one. What? Why have they jumped the order like that? Skipping Hauser? Or who are they skipping? Sorry. Lauer. They're giving Corbin tonight and then Lauer's with the off day. Uh, yeah, because I that, that'll happen sometimes with the off day. Get the ace. They're just going to keep Corbin in his exact rhythm is the... Yeah, exactly. I'm good with that, but also Lauer has been really good. So pushing Lauer essentially two days, I hope that doesn't have a negative impact. Yeah, I wonder if Lauer's a guy who they are concerned about his his workload a little bit, just because, uh, I mean, I, I don't have his historical stats from his time in San Diego, but, but I wonder if he's trending to throw more innings than he's thrown in a season the most he's ever thrown in a season is 149 and two-thirds innings in 2019 not necessarily a full season of workload and you know he was the guy that was affected most probably by ash beginning start so i wonder if there's just some long-term concern about limiting uh lauer's innings or getting him proper rest from time to time so that's interesting to look at i know burns focus this year is in like building up innings because that was one of the criticisms against him and his cy young campaign was that zach wheeler threw significantly more innings than him 
So, yeah, interesting to monitor moving forward. But, I mean, Lauer's 27. He's not like a developing prospect. 182 ERA over 29 and two-thirds innings. Uh, not someone that you need to really skip or hide in rotation because he's he's one of your dudes right now. Um, but, yeah, that is an interesting note. Well, if, uh, if Woody finds it, it also makes it interesting. Like, Lauer moving up, I guess these things will be in flux over the course of the season. But like looking ahead and going, okay, we've got the Marlins. We're going to see Burns, Lara, Woodruff. That's pretty good. Um, and knowing Craig Council, it could be a right, left, right situation. That's <laughs> like, also, I want to, I want to, I want to mix and match. Keep them on their toes. I mean, it, it also does allow you to get Burns in for the final game of the Brave series, which could be a factor in that move him up. Absolutely. So, so you can get him back in against the Braves. Um. No, I don't. I don't really have a strong feel. I don't hate it in any way, but it is an interesting choice, and I wonder how we'll we'll come to view that if if all of a sudden Lauer looks a little off, or then maybe we'll we'll think about it differently. But I I can see on paper some reasons for it. All right. Yeah, and that uh, the off day, and then that com comment about the Brave series definitely is factoring in. Uh, probably, I would assume the Braves more than more than anything. Um, getting him a game against team that doesn't necessarily have a great record but is someone like we said last week probably a measuring stick defending world champs miami is 14 and 17 on the season seven games back in the mets in the nl east uh not great on paper a team the brewers should look to do some damage against um but you got to play the games adam uh milwaukee does still find themselves in a very favorable position 20 and 12 on the season two and a half games up on the st louis cardinals um but if the season you, you don't want to get into that you don't want to focus on the Cardinals, though. Uh, you made this point. You want to be focused more on, and that's on, a, on the exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly where I was going, Adam. Okay. Because they they will uh, find themselves if the season ended today, which we know it doesn't, with the uh, third best winning percentage in the National League, which would see them get that extra first round playoff series, which is what we're looking to avoid. We want that two seater higher. For sure. I my for me, my thing here is um this is barring a sweep of the Marlins. This is a losing road trip. I don't like that, but I think as we talked about before, you'd like it to be as close to five hundred as possible. So a series win here would have you one game below five hundred on the trip. And I think we'd live with that if they go back to Milwaukee and they take care of business. Although the schedule is a bit tougher, so that's not necessarily as easy said as it is when you're like okay it's a home series against the pirates reds and uh i don't know insert anyone else the cubs um so was was the series lost to the reds the the cosmic uh balance that needs to happen for them to sweep atlanta at home this week who's to say (laughs) you take that trade off if that's the case um, particularly Corbin Burns again. Can we get Corbin Burns some run support? We're going to see him twice in uh, the course of a uh, relatively condensed span here. Let's get him some run support. Let's make sure that Corbin Burns is getting rewarded for his absolutely outstanding pitching. Yeah. Uh, the Marlins, I would Marlins so. Stadium, Andrew, as a what do I need to know environmentally? I saw like there's like a boat kind of bar which was interesting uh but really what i want to know is have we got a red situation here what is it like is it a hitter's park 
this is typically a pitcher's park. Okay. Um, balls go to die in the gap in in right and left center. Uh, I haven't looked it up on park effects anytime recently, but I, it, it trends to be pitcher's park. There used to be a grotesque sculpture in center field that I'm going to send you just so you can see it and you can regret that it's no longer there. Um, I don't know if it's in the location that the the yacht <laughs> now finds itself or the fake boat premium seating area, but uh, that seems to be kind of the that area now is kind of just left of center field, I would say. So does that that check out? Yeah, um, that that does check out. Uh, they used to like it used to like have some sort of like motion and lights whenever someone would hit a homer as well. It was truly grotesque, and oh my uh, god, what is this? Yeah, exactly. I think someone once described it as like an orgy of fish. Uh, No, that's that is that. (laughs) No, that's we'll just move past that. That is that is right of what is like the kind of boat bar area thing. Yeah, okay, that is uh, one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. So, and J- Jeter came in and got rid of it. Now Jeter's gone, so bring it back, bring the sculpture back. <laughs> um, not, not not one of the more um, I don't know. Not, the, this park doesn't really have the character of a lot. I was about to say parks. not a lot of character, baseball charm. No, it's basically just like a museum of fleecing taxpayers for a stadium <laughs> you don't need. Um, when you're a billionaire, that's what it's representative of. It does seem quite uh, Miami from photos I've seen of it so far. It's definitely got Miami energy. I've only been in the gift shop, so I can't completely attest to its charms or lack thereof. Uh, but you know, I just wasn't compelled to go to a Miami Marlins game last time I was in Miami. They're well, not appointment viewing. It, this is a this is a table setter. Let's not forget. Game one tonight is going to clash with another notable uh, Milwaukee sporting event for the most part. But if the books take care of business at game six of Pfizer form tonight, then Brewers Marlins is just going to be the appetizer for books heat. So we're going to have, a, we're going to have a little run, hopefully of Milwaukee, Miami sporting action. Um, wow. I wonder if, uh, if Stephen A. Smith has gotten into, to Miami early just he's to right. check he's been out waiting Marlins for it Brewers. to happen so he could be there for Marlins Brewers I wouldn't doubt it he's just wanted Miami so bad and he's gonna get at least for a conference finals what a time to be alive Adam we do master brew points and then we'll we'll switch to some sounds talk let's do it um as you might imagine there is not much great to discuss for this series, but one person that definitely deserves a master brew point is Christian Yelich. You hit for the cycle, you get a master brew point. Um, across the three games, he was four for 11 with that cycle. So single, double, triple homer, three RBI, and also a pair of uh, or three walks on the series. Sorry. Yeah, three walks on the series. So he lived on base and he gave us a bright, shining moment. Of, of quality during uh, an otherwise very bleak series. So I think Christian Yelich 
very deserving of a brew point. No arguments on my part. 100% is uh, is a no doubter. Yep. And joining him on the leaderboard is someone that speaking this might of be on a base. surprise. Yeah. Speaking of on base, uh, on base, Jace, Jace is on base who uh, compiled four hits in this series and 12 at-bats, scored four runs, a pair of doubles, a homer, and two walks. Jace was on base all series. Uh, got starts at, I believe, third base and then also left field. So And first. So he, And first, yeah. So he really so also notable. He played three positions across the series and did a very good job at all three. Yeah, he looked solid in all of them. I, I remember... Uh, you and I had a conversation before the game, been like, oh, what's, what's Jace doing in left field? And we were both very dismissive. I was like, ah, he'll be fine in left field. No, you were, I, I was concerned. Um, I was not aware until you told me that he has played there at times elsewhere. Um, I was certainly alarmed to see it, but you reassured me, and that turned out to be pretty accurate. I was, I will take away some credit for myself, though, because I was dismissive of him replicating any semblance of what he had done in the game before. I was like, yeah, is he going to get on base twice again? Nah, I don't think so. Homer and a walk. So Jace Peterson showed me, and he gets himself on the Master Brewer leaderboard for the first time this season. You know, he's had it a mostly difficult start with the bat, but he's a versatile guy, can plug into nearly any position on the field and do a job for you. So, uh Good work, Jace. We appreciate you. We spoke about the Master Brewer Leader, but before we started, and there was only two names we settled on. There is one other I'll just try out here that maybe we should have talked about. I don't know. It's a close call. We might feel happy leaving them off. Freddy Peralta was pretty solid. Like, it's it's probably a tough one to leave him out. There were a couple of visceral moments there where it didn't look great, but he, he got out of trouble mostly. 5.2 innings pitched, eight strikeouts. Allowed four hits, only one run, which was earned, one walk only. You know, that's pretty, pretty good, tidy business. And there's a reason that that's the only game that the Brewers won in this series. You know, as much as the bats factor into that, that's their their only truly convincing start um, from a pitcher in the series, and they won the game. So I, Freddie might have a case. Uh the barometer in my head that I have set for starting pitchers in this is that they need to go at least six innings, but also he's, he's five and two thirds. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't make it out of the sixth. Uh, That being said, this was a series where the Brewers were very much let down by starting pitching in games one and three and Freddie Peralta. I mean, and I think he could have gotten out of the inning. You know, we do know Craig council with his, uh, interesting bullpen decisions from time to time. I'm comfortable with Freddie getting a point from for this series. Yeah, I think um, he should. And and there was also uh it worked actually really well. Brent Suter coming in for that out. Brent Suter is looking up, by the way. That's something we maybe won't talk a whole lot about. He's not getting a massive amount to do. He is coming in for some oh we need one big out here, but much tidier in the past week or so. So that's encouraging. Um we actually didn't even talk about Devin Williams in that game, which is probably for the best. We'll just move along from that. But let's let's add Freddie Peralta, and we've got three Master Brew points awarded for this week. All right, Nashville Sounds. So um, I can't even remember what game. I watched a bit of the Nashville Sounds 
when we were going to do this a couple of pods ago. And then last night, we both watched the Nashville Sounds come away with a 10-1 win over the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. I watched about eight innings, and I did miss some excitement late on, including four ninth-inning runs and uh, an unusual and pretty exciting-sounding play from Bryce Rang. Andrew can give a bit more rundown on that. Um, but part of the reason we tuned in for this, part of the reason we delayed our Sounds Talk previously is we wanted to take in an Ethan Small start, plenty of kind of headline-grabbing play from him on the season to date. Even more interesting now than probably if we'd done this when we originally planned to because the Brewers have got into this thing where they clearly have major doubts over a couple of kind of bullpen spots and they're cycling through options like with the sounds we're seeing looks at obviously Luis Perdomo, uh, JC Mejia now, who was not great on his first uh, outing. I'll be again, we haven't seen a ton of them yet, but it is something that I question to you. And I think it's pretty natural to wonder at this point, is it a matter of time before we see Ethan Small come up and, you know, maybe just give an extra option, something something to work with in the bullpen, something that's maybe more projectable and exciting long-term too than what they're looking at right now. We'll probably have a debate we've had already about, you know, is the focus purity on just getting him as many starts as possible, or is it at a point in his career where it would make sense for him to come up and just get some major league experience, even if it is kind of uh, relieving in the middle innings. But what were your thoughts overall on, this performance, or if you'd rather start there, what are your thoughts overall on the Nashville Sounds? It was the best record in minor league baseball. They're 22 and 10 on the season so far. Yeah, it sounds like a, a great time to watch baseball in Nashville. I mean, being uh, in a triple A city like I am, it's an interesting thing because you know that the organizations don't necessarily care about the results on the field in terms of wins and losses as much as they care about the development of certain players. But you can still see some good baseball. I mean, the Durham Bulls down here have won International League championships uh, a lot over my life, and it just makes for like a good vibe at the park and good in the city. And I think Nashville's doing that because you got a, a mix of <clears throat> like minor league lifers who have gotten uh, – a cup of coffee in the majors that are just really good triple a players who may never have a full on major league career, but are performing really well for the sounds like Mark Mathias, who's a second baseman, first baseman can play some outfield utility infielder hit a homer yesterday. Seems like a really fun triple a player. And then you've got guys like Bryce Terang, who's a shortstop kind of out outfielder hybrid. They're trying to make him a center fielder. Um, and he's, the Brewers probably top prospect. If you look at most publications, he's having a re- really good start to his season might be someone that factors into the, the major league roster this year. If not, probably definitely uh, next year, getting some time. Um, I mean, it's, it's with Colton Wong's contract expiring at the end of the season. It's not hard to imagine him maybe sliding over to second base and forming a new uh, double play combo with Willie Adamas. If the center field transition doesn't work out. So a, a lot to like and a lot to watch on this team. And obviously now you've got Keston Hura down at Nashville to get some bats. He had a pair of home runs yesterday. Uh, David Dahl, who used to be a, a top prospect uh, for the Rockies and is kind of looking to restart his career. John Singleton, very similar. He used to be a, a highly regarded prospect for the Astros and kind of got 
I'll say he got screwed over because I think he had some marijuana suspensions. And I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. We all know it's ridiculous to get suspended for, for marijuana. So it's a very interesting team and someone that, or a team that if I was in the Nashville area, uh, I would be buying, I would be there every dollar beer night and just really hey, enjoy Andrew, watching this. You team. would have season tickets because this is how you operate. But particularly now, considering that you have a Brewers podcast, if you were in the Nashville area, you would probably have sound season tickets. Absolutely. And I forgot <laughs> to mention um, Tyler White, who is from uh, North Carolina. I think he's from Forest City, um, which is kind of near Charlotte. Uh, Mario Feliciano, who almost factored into the, the catching conversation, Alex Jackson. I mean, like forgot for people that have followed minor league baseball or even a little bit, like this is a recognizable team. And that, and I mentioned all of that. That's just the bats. That doesn't even go to mention Ethan Small, who's got a 195 ERA and is probably the Brewers or definitely the Brewers' top pitching prospect right now. The debate over where he should be is one I'm ready to have when you are. And I've come to a point where I think I know where I definitively land. Go on. I'm curious because I, all I'll say before that is I was, I was impressed. You will definitely have picked up much more technically about his performance last night. Um, I know we have talked about and you've pointed out it was kind of the perfect one game drop in because it was the full Ethan Small experience. You could see what's not quite there yet. and You could see what he's got. The main thing for me is I at this point in my baseball watching. What I prefer if guys never got into trouble. Yes, that would seem like a good idea, but I do think it's important to see a pitcher that if they get themselves in a slightly tough spot that they keep their composure, they don't go into panic mode, and they can get themselves out of it. And that is what Ethan Small was doing last night, even bases loaded. Was that the first inning? If it wasn't, it was the second. Um, like quite a few walks, but then able to go and like just stand up and be like, yeah, well, I don't care if the bases are loaded. I'm going to strike guys out. Like That to me is something that, interests me and that that kind of i think speaks in a in a character way that at this level like i'm sure if you're you're a top prospect at that level of baseball in terms of pitching like there's a level that all of the best pitchers are gonna be at there it's then how are you gonna deal with adversity what happens when you're up against much much more formidable hitting as well when you move up to the next level and his character his uh his resolve was something that impressed me on top of everything else. Yeah, he definitely does have that ability to pitch out of trouble. Um, But yeah, this was like the perfect encapsulation of everything I had read about Ethan small uh, going into this game. He's not going to blow you away with velocity. He's got a low nineties fastball that might touch 93, but he's got this, interesting delivery where he hits extension back almost hides the ball from the hitter and then he's got these long levers his arms he's all arms and legs when he's when he's coming at you and am i wrong in saying that, that there is a little bit of like brent suter-esque that i saw a little bit of that in his delivery maybe it is just it a is, long arm lefty but 
similar. It, it reminds me of almost like a hybrid between if Alex Wood, Chris Sale, and Clayton Kershaw, if you like mashed them up together and made a, a, a motion. I mean, he's 6'4", 215, uh, long and lanky, um, and the ball just gets up on you quickly, even though it's not coming in at like 98 miles an hour. Um, he gets, so he strikes out guys a lot on fastballs. But one thing I also noticed is that he seems willing to throw any pitch in any count. He's got a breaking ball that I think is generally regarded as his third best pitch. And then he's got a, a great changeup. Um, I found a fan graphs article from a few years ago where um, David Loria interviewed um, a, f- a few different uh, prospects who played against him in college. One of them was Braden Shoemake. Uh, who played at, I believe, Texas A&M and is now in the Braves organization, might be the Braves soon. And he he uh, regarded Small as one of the, the toughest pitchers he he would throw or face in that when he was in the SEC. He said he didn't look super power, uh, super overpowering, but he had that good curveball. And the combination of his off-speed stuff and just like his extension and I guess his spin rate in Shoemake's mind uh, made it get up on you quickly and you just couldn't do anything with it. Small commented uh, about his own ability and what makes him so special as a pitcher at that time. Um, he said, a lot of people think it's a really high spin rate fastball. I would say that's not exactly the case. I think a lot of it has to do with my extension, whatever the distance is from home to wherever I'm releasing the ball and also spin efficiently, efficiency. I'm probably flirting with 98 to 100%. That and the big extension number is what gets the rise on the fastball late in the zone. So, yeah, and that start showed it all. He's striking out on guys on on fastballs that aren't coming in at 98, but it, it looks like they are when you see the hitter react. Uh, he struggle, struggles with walks, uh, which is, you know, not abnormal to, to Brewers starting pitchers. But, I mean, he looks like a really exciting prospect. I would love to see him late in the season as a bullpen option because I think when you get into the playoffs, late having, the yeah, when you have Ethan Small in your playoff kind of mm-hmm. arsenal of pitchers rather than Yandel Gustave or Luis Perdomo or uh, Mejia. Mejia, yeah. It's just... Yeah, I, I think it just it's going to give you options in games that you don't have right now. And I think we'll get to that point. It might be but later than we want. When I'm saying late in the season, if your aim is to have him there as your option late in the season, does it not make sense to bring him up? And maybe not just yet, but pretty soon. I would say you know? I would say quickly post All-Star break would be my wish. Like okay. get into July, get him a few months with the team. And then that would also, like that thought process is replicating. You're starting him on a road that's not dissimilar, it seems like, to what they've done with Ashby. Um and that's where I think for me, it's part of the just getting to terms with how prospects are developed in baseball. I'm still working out, but I don't see why having guys like Ashby and small as bullpen arms. And we've talked about the six man starting rotation and the pros and cons of that. I, I think there's a lot of value to be had in getting multiple innings out of those guys. And it's, it, to me, it would feel like a more gradual way of working up to being major league starters. Like, does it ever really happen that someone is a starting pitcher in the minors and then you bring them up and you give them starts in the majors? Is that if you've like big holes in your 
in your pitching depth? Is that the only scenario? I, I would think, particularly with a team like the Brewers, it makes perfect sense to be like, well, let's turn these guys into our middle relievers right now with a view to them becoming starters. And then obviously the goal down the line is either when contracts come up, if you're not going to pay some of the other guys you've already got, that they're ready to step up or however they work through that. That's if probably a not fun conversation that I could just already see coming in the future with how uh, the Brewers manage their payroll and everything else involved in that. But is it, I, I would feel it's just, it makes sense. Get those guys. Once they're, once they're showing like, and what's the ERA now? It's 1.95. Like, He's he's right on top of this. He's on the team with the best record. Uh, get it, get him, give him his chance. You know, particularly it's when you're when you're looking at the players that they are bringing up, and you're like, okay, what is the end goal here for Perdomo and Mejia? And it just feels like they're going to cycle through all of that stuff. At a certain point, if Small is your guy, there may be more value to him being there because. You, you probably take some of the hits easier as well. Like if he has a tough game and it costs you, I think you can see the long-term projection of, well, how that can benefit you in the long run. With Luis Perdomo's age, that's not really there. So I I don't know. I find that less palatable than being like, oh, well, we know what the end goal is with giving Ethan Small those minutes. Giving them th- those innings even. That's basketball me slipping out. And it's uh sorry, innings are comprised of minutes. So you're, you're uh, I'm not uh, wrong. I I know that minutes always apply in all all elements of life. Yeah. Um I would like to see it sooner rather than later. I think it'll be later rather than sooner. Just I mean, who knows? There we're I know they want to keep getting them starts, but they just haven't been able to find like that last pitcher on the roster to be Jake Cousins injury. Consistent is also something which could force their hand on it. Like it's forcing them to try different things. And so far they're not finding the answers. They are not. Um, but Nashville sounds exciting team. If you have MILB.TV, check them out. If you're in Nashville for a bachelor party, bachelorette party, going to see the Ryman, maybe also uh, check out a game, see the guitar scoreboard and uh, you know, Watch Bryce Terang maybe hit for the cycles. Seems like something he could do. Seems like something he could do is right. We will uh, try to drop in with the, the Biloxi Shookers sometime soon. Joey Weimer doing uh, very, very exciting team things by all accounts. It seems like every day I scroll Twitter and I see, oh, he's hit another home run. Um, and he is certainly kind of charging his way up through the, the brewer system. So that one is... That's certainly something that's going to be interesting to watch, along with a few others. Uh, Sal Frelick is in Biloxi now, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Correct. Um, so plenty of note and of intrigue to watch out for there. So we'll we'll drop in with the Shookers soon, and we'll you'll hear some more about that. And we'll we'll keep our eye on all things sounds. I mean, one thing we should talk about before we wrap up on the sounds is uh, Kessinara had two home runs last night and seven RBI. And like we, I guess, have already seen in, in the small sample that still uh, is the case for this season. We've seen the best and the worst of Kesson Hurt. This is, though, what you want to see, particularly when he's 
assigned to the minor leagues um, with the idea of, okay, can we just unlock this, get him back as a reliable hitter? Because it could be a real, real game changer for the Brewers. So his first at-bat, um, and I'm pretty sure I remarked this at the time, he just swung at everything and it was it was not good. The fact that he followed it up in his next two appearances with home runs was very encouraging. So if he is going to be down there, it's kind of what you want to see from him. Yeah, the, here a ba- uh, bounce-back season is upon us. Um, I think we'll see him back in... Well, Excuse me, sorry, <laughs> Milwaukee at some point. Uh, it, now would have been a great time with the McCutcheon uh, COVID case, but alas, here we are watching him tear the cover off the baseball um, during Ethan's small starts. Yeah, Mike Brasso will probably be back in Nashville soon enough, but he did it a home run when he was brought into pinch hit in game three. So um, he's doing pretty solid things whenever he comes up too, and it feels like we'll probably see him jump back and forth between those those two teams for much of the season. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it all. I think that's pretty much it for us for now. We will be back on Monday to look back on the series against the Miami Marlins. Hopefully, a series win for the Brewers. And to look ahead to the start of... A six-game homestand, um, which will, of course, begin with another meeting with the World Series champions, Andrews Nemesis, the Atlanta Braves. So all that to look forward to on Monday. Until then, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. That's cruising for a bruising. You should also subscribe to the Eurostep Podcast Network. That's the network we're a part of. It's where, at the moment, you will find all of your Milwaukee Books podcasting needs. We have crossover winning six Eurostep episodes all throughout the series and yeah we're hoping that very soon we'll be able to switch our attention to an eastern conference finals series so that's that's something fun we're on twitter at brewers gspn i'm at adam mcgee 11 andrew is at ac snide if you want to rep the pod support us gspnstore.com for all your cruising for a bruising merch until next time thanks again to all of you for listening thank you andrew Thanks, Adam. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.